You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. My, uh, my favorite sport was not featured in sports camp. That's because my favorite sport is hockey. So that would have been tough to pull off, even roller hockey. But even though hockey is my favorite sport, I'll watch the finals of almost any sport. And that's because when you get to the championship series or game, uh, it's competition at its best. And whenever the champion is finally crowned, I almost never turn off the TV because I really enjoy the, the post-game championship celebration. You know, the trophy presentation, uh, the speeches by those who have just won the championship. Uh, this is the picture of the, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, as much as I hate to show this picture. This is the picture of them <laughs> celebrating the recent Stanley Cup uh, victory. Uh, again, it doesn't matter what sport it is. Those who win a championship seem to all agree on at least two things. Number one, the experience of winning at this level is the greatest experience of their life. That's one thing they agree on. The number two thing they all seem to agree on is that what this means, them winning, what that means is that all of us sitting on our couches and watching can accomplish our dreams too, and we can experience what they're experiencing. Now, I can believe the first. I can believe that there's probably no experience like winning a, a world championship. I find it hard to believe that I will ever experience what it must be like to be on the top team in the world, to, to be the best in the world at something. Those victory stages are pretty small. You know, they got, you know, 40, 50 people on those stages at the most, maybe 10 or 15 at a time. There's only room for a few on those stages. And once the confetti falls and the lights are turned off, that stage is removed and you don't get back on that stage unless you win it again. It's only for a brief period of time. So it seems that, that watching that kind of joy on TV is probably the closest that most of us are going to get to that experience. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered a group of spectators and he spoke of a stage large enough for them and for us. A stage not constructed by their dreams, but by heaven's plans. A stage that he referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Not because it's in heaven, but because it's about the work of God, the work of heaven here on earth, and our chance to be a part of that. He said everyone who gets on this stage is blessed. The definition of this word is truly happy. Not just happy for a moment of championship glory, but long-term happiness. So what Jesus said is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And these are the three chapters that we are looking at this summer. We're calling this the divine conspiracy because unlike the famous teams of this world, God's team is a behind-the-scenes, grassroots kind of effort. One day there will be a celebration of God's team. And that will make every other victory celebration look insignificant in comparison. But that will occur in heaven, not here on earth. And so until then, it is tempting for us to try to climb up on and live for the smaller stages of this world and miss the chance that we have to play our part in the grand stage of heaven. Now Jesus as he begins to extend this invitation to those listening 2,000 years ago and us listening now, he uses two words to describe 
the, the critical role that we play on this team, on God's team. He says we are to be like salt and light in this world. And the reason this is important is because God's, in God's plan, we are frontline agents of change. The goal of this divine conspiracy is heart change, not just rule keeping. And that kind of change is brought about by influence, not by power. So in these three chapters, Jesus goes on to explain both the opportunities we have to have salt and light level influence and the kinds of qualities that need to be true of us if we are going to be salt and light in our world. How is it that we can truly influence others? Not on social media, but in real life. So today we come to the powerful influence of trust. We are influenced by people we trust. If we're going to have influence on people, we need to be worthy of their trust. The question is, how do you build trust? Well, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He does not use the word trust, but this is the topic that he's addressing. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but, I, but keep the oaths that you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is saying that trust is built one yes and one no at a time. So what is trust? It's helpful for us to, we got a sense of what it means, but I just want to throw a definition up here. One of my favorite definitions is by Stephen Covey in his book, The Speed of Trust. And here's how he defines it. It's very simple. Trust means confidence. The opposite of trust, distrust, means suspicion. So if our primary role in this world, on God's team, the kingdom of heaven, is to have salt and light level influence on others, then they will need to have evidence and good reason to trust us, to have confidence in what we say and what our life is about. So what do the words yes and no have to do with trust? Well, first of all, trust is what exists between people, between two or more people. It, it's it occurs in the relationship. And since trust is a phenomenon that occurs on the borders of our lives between two people, yes and no are the words that define those borders, that define the boundaries of us, of a person, and of them. So let's represent this by a circle. We'll put a circle on the screen behind you. This circle represents you and me as an individual. I know we're not a circle, but this is representative. Deep inside all of us is our will, the things that we want, that we exert on this world. We express our will by saying yes to some things and no to others. Our will is an expression of yeses and nos. In fact, much of who we are today is because of all of the yeses and the nos that have brought us to this point. 
We have said, yes, I will take that job or move to this place or marry that person, which means, no, I'm not going to marry that other person. I'm not going to take that other job. I'm not going to move to that other place. And on and on the yeses and nos go. Now, we, of course, are not the only people in the world. We're not just a circle all to ourselves. Outside of us are all the other circles, all the other individuals, and they too are defined by their yeses and their noes. Now, a relationship is possible when two circles come in contact. There's a conversation, there's an opportunity for a relationship, and trust is what occurs on the borders between two people. Trust is what determines whether that relationship will be a strong relationship, the bonds between those people will be strong and lasting, or whether it will be a weak relationship and the bonds between those people will break. Now, trust is not automatic. Simply because we come in contact with someone doesn't mean we should trust them. And this is because when two people come in contact with each other, you have a collision of yeses and noes, yours and theirs. And how you navigate those yeses and those noes will either build trust between the two of you or it will damage trust. So this morning, we kind of defined what trust is, what yes and no has to do with that. Now we're going to look at the three words that build trust. The opposite of these words, destroy trust. <coughs> Word number one is respect. What I mean by respect is as it comes to a relationship with another person, I don't use you. I respect you and your yeses and your noes. I don't try to manipulate you into doing what I want, but you may not want. I have respect for you. That's an essential foundation of trust. If trust is to be built with someone, you must first respect them as an individual who has a will and therefore has the right to say yes and to say no. That is the foundational truth that all trust is built on. That's pretty obvious, but we easily begin to disrespect people and try to manipulate them. And the reason is because the problem with their yes and no is that it may counter our yes and no. It may get in the way of a yes, something we want, or a no, something that we don't want. So rather than risk this conflict or couch it in a different way, Jesus identifies one of the common tactics we do to erode trust. We, we modify our yeses and our noes by adding words to yes and to no. We don't just say yes, we don't just say no, which is very clear. We add words to our yeses and to our noes. Let me read it again, verses 33 through 36. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths. Keep your word. Keep your oaths that you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's his city, or the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white. What Jesus is saying is, what you tend to do is instead of just saying yes, you say, I swear yes by heaven, or by Jerusalem, or by my own head, or I swear no by this, or by that, or something else. Now, we don't use these words. These are not our swear words. Those were their swear words. Here are some modern additions. Now, this is not 
swearing, but this is what this is talking about. Rather than just saying yes and no, the tendency throughout history has been to add to yes and to no. So here's a little get you up to date on what yes and no looks like now in our culture. Let's take a look at this video. Yeah means yeah. No means no. No yeah means sure. Yeah no means no. Yeah no for sure means yeah. Yeah 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 means no. Yeah no yeah means I'm willing to do it. No yeah no means there's no way I'm doing it. Okay, did you get that? I mean, just listen to this. Almost no one says yes. They're all, yeah, 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 no, no, sure, yeah. Wait, what? Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? So now you know what all that means. You may want to look it up and, and review. Now, the words yes and no are as clear as words can get, right? These are, honestly, these are probably the first two words that we learn as kids. Definitely the word no is the first word we learn, right? And then we learn yes. And if someone says, well, what do you mean by no? It means, I mean, no. That's how we clarify. We just say the word over again because it's so clear. So why do we add words to yes and to no? The reason we do this is to give yes, our yes, and our no more power. Yes and no are personal words. What I mean by that is we can command our personhood ourselves with yes and no, but we can't, can't command other people. I can say yes to me and no to me. I can make decisions for me. But I can't say yes for you and no for you. I can ask yes. I can ask no. I can wish for yes. I can pray for yes. But I can't say yes or no for you, and you can't do that for me. But in order to get what we want in life, we often need other people to comply with our yeses and our noes. So we add words to our yes and no to increase their power and to give us an enhanced, at least thoughtful, we think it it enhances our ability to push people. So rather than just say, yes, I want that. Could you give me that? Would you help me with this? That's a request. And when you give a request, you just leave it with them, and then it's their decision to say what? Yes or no. Well, that's risky. So we want to add some punch to that request. We want to manipulate, trick, emotionally get them to do something rather than just leave it a simple request. So what do we do? We swear. We add words to yes and no, swear words. So again, our swear words are not heaven and Jerusalem. You know, we we add the word hell to yes and no. Or the word damn to yes or no. Now, why do people swear? Well, initially you could say people just swear now out of habit. And most people, if you hear them swearing, it's just they've been doing it for so long, they, they almost can't stop. They, they, that's how they talk. But where did the habit come from? Why do so many people swear? Why do we struggle with swearing? It came from the exact thing that Jesus is describing here. When you swear, what you are doing, whether you're doing out of habit and think about it or you don't think about it, what you're doing is you are invoking a power that is greater than you, that is greater than your yes and your no. That's why swearing almost always involves 
words that represent something sacred, something that has a spiritual almost power to it. In Jesus' day, it was heaven, or earth, his footstool, or the holy city of Jerusalem, or even your own life. Now, as I said, it's, it's hell, it's damnation, it's the name of Jesus Christ. We swear by that name in our culture. And honestly, one of the ones that we swear by most is the sacredness of sex. You know, when someone uses the F word, it makes no sense in context. It never makes any sense. I mean, if someone were just to say, sex, yes, we'd be like, what? What does sex have to do with what we were talking about? Why did that come into the conversation? So why does it come into the conversation? Well, because whether the person knows it or will admit it, in God's mind, the creator of sex, sex is a sacred thing. And so we evoke kind of the residual spiritual power that comes off of the activity of sex, just to enhance our yes and our no, our request to add power to them. Now, sometimes we add words not just to add power, but to be unclear, to kind of manipulate through the fog. We do this mostly with the word no. No is a risky word. Because when you say no to somebody, do they generally respond like, oh, okay, well, I, I just thought I'd ask. Mm, if it's something they really want, there's a price to pay now. There's an emotional response. You know, I see this with our grandkids. They ask me for something, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go in a hot tub with you right now. But if I say no, there may be a scene. If their parents are there, they can deal with the scene. But if I'm the only one there, I don't want to deal with the scene. I've done parenting. I'm done with dealing with that. So I'll say something like, oh, well, maybe sometime, knowing that their, kid, their parents are coming in 10 minutes. Oh, bummer. You know, we, we couldn't get in, you know? So I won't just say a clear no. Because if you say no to someone on anything, they'll get mad. I'll just tell you as a pastor, people ask me for our church to do all kinds of things. And some of the things we can do, some of the things we can't. And I know whenever I have to say no, this is going to be hard for them. They may process it well, they may not. But I don't like saying no. You don't like saying no. So rather than say no and risk their anger, we surround no with a bunch of words to kind of throw off and soften the no. And so they walk away not hearing a clear no, which avoids the conflict for now, but usually makes it worse when they experience the no rather than hear the no. And what that does is that damages trust. So we think that by adding words, we are increasing the effective range of our yeses and our noes. But Jesus makes it clear that just because we use powerful, sacred words like heaven and hell, it, it doesn't make our words more powerful. I mean, he, he says heaven is God's throne. You don't own heaven. Just because you use that word doesn't make your yes have more power to it. Earth is God's footstool. You can swear by anything here on earth, and you don't own it. God owns it all. Jerusalem is his city. It's not, not your city. Well, how about your own head? 
Certainly you control your own head. And Jesus says, well, you can't even make a white hair black. Well, wait till you get old and you'll discover that. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can color it if you want to spend a lot of money, but then you got to color it again because you can't make it change color. You don't even have power over those things. What Jesus is saying is you don't have any power outside of your own yeses and noes. The only power you and I have is our decisions. So stay inside the boundaries of your own circle and respect the boundaries of their circle. Second word, reliability. What this means is I do what I say. When we honor our commitments, we become more trustworthy. So as Jesus says in verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What he's saying simply is, if you say yes or no, then see to it that you do everything in your power to make that happen, to let it be yes or let it be no. Now, when we add to our words, like we just talked about, we do that to manipulate people. When we change our words, we do it to manipulate circumstances. Let me explain. We say, yes, yeah, I'll do this, yes. And then something comes up that makes yes very inconvenient or costly. So we change our yes to no because the circumstances have changed, and so it's now costing us. So what we said yes to, we now say no to. Or conversely, we say no to something that is wrong or that we don't want to do, but then the circumstances make no, again, costly, Maybe it'll cost a, a reputation, and so we go ahead and say yes. Now, circumstances are complex. There are a set of circumstances that would prevent you from actually carrying out yes and no, and we'll look at that in the next word. But if the price of yes and no goes up, that's not an excuse to change yes to no or no to yes, simply because now it's going to cost you more to keep your word. Getting our plans to work out is challenging. But here's the key. We're going to talk about this more in the next word. But the point of life is not to make your plans work out, but to make sure that you are part of God's plan. That's the win for any day. And so Jesus says, here's how you do that. Say it, and then do everything in your power to do it. If God is the divine conspirator, the great manager of circumstances, then you and I can keep our word. If not, then you will need to make your yeses and your noes just the starting point, not commitments that people can rely on. And that will give you the wiggle room that you need when situations become costly. But if you do that, it will cost you trust, which is even more valuable. In Santa Cruz, there's a, a place called the Mystery Spot. If you've been there, in this place, it's weird. Water flows uphill. They appears to flow uphill. Balls appear, appear to roll uphill. People tilt as they walk, and everything seems altered. So I was joking with someone, you can either get drunk or you can go to this place and experience <laughs> what it's like to be drunk sober. Everything is difficult in this place. Simple tasks are made more challenging as reality seems to be warped. 
The truth is, as you can see here, what they've done is they've tilted the foundation. The walls are at an angle. The doorways are tilted. Many other features of the mystery spot are like this. They're tilted, and it causes the illusion that makes simple tasks very difficult and decisions rather unpredictable. In fact, this place has been known to cause nausea just going through it because it's so disorienting. This is the effect that occurs in relationships when your yes and your no begins to shift, when it starts tilting. It's as if the ground under the relationship is now no longer level. It's off kilter. And everything in the relationship begins to tilt with it. We no longer know what to expect in the relationship, and we find our heads spinning. And whenever trust is broken like this, whenever the ground under us shifts because of us shifting our yeses and our noes, the first response is to kind of grab, hold on to something stable and, and, and stop, you know, stop the moving. But if trust continues to be broken, people come to a, a why in the road and the decision, and either they will decide, I, I can't, I got to get out of this room. I can't be in this relationship anymore. Or they will decide to accept the relational vertigo in order to stay in the relationship, and they'll end up doing great damage to their personal sense of self. The divine conspiracy that Jesus presents always respects the freedom of the individual, the freedom of the soul. No manipulation is allowed. God insists that we exercise our own freedom and that we let others exercise theirs. But if we're going to do that, we need an anchor for our trust, a foundation, something that's more solid than just another person or another set of people. And that brings us to the last word, and that is reverence. Reverence for God. And what this means is I trust in God's plan. Trust between people is not secure enough. It's not a secure enough foundation. It is not stable enough. Even the most trustworthy people are not worthy of your entire trust. There needs to be a, a trust, a, a foundation that's more solid and deeper than any person. And that foundation is our trust in God. You see, the power of our yeses and our noes are not only limited by the fact that other people are saying yes and no, but God also is saying yes and no. And God is not just another circle in the orbit of our life. He is the big circle that's around all of us. And what that means is when he says yes, yes is what happens. And when he says no, no is what happens. So, if we are going to have a chance to become people who trust and can be trusted, we will need to have our trust anchored in God's greater plan, his yeses and his noes. Now, in 2 Corinthians, we're given some very interesting instructions on this. In fact, we're given a riddle, a yes and no riddle that gives insight on this. So I'm going to read this passage and you're going to be thoroughly confused because it's a riddle. And then I'm going to unpack the riddle. So just hang in there. The purpose of a riddle is not confusion. The purpose of a riddle is so you would slow your mind down and pay attention, unravel that riddle, and discover the truth of that riddle in a way that will help you remember it and do it. That's the purpose 
of this riddle. So, in this riddle, the Apostle Paul, early church planner, is announcing a change in plans. And so this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 17 through 20. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, and here it is, here's our yeses and nos, yes, yes, and no, no. Why two yeses and two nos? It's part of the riddle. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Got it? Clear, right? No, it's not. So let's, let's work through this. The context of this announcement and this riddle occurs in the plans that the Apostle Paul has made. In his first letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, Paul had announced that he intended to visit them. Now he's saying he won't be able to make that trip. Why? Was it because, as he said, I planned it lightly? In other words, was he guilty of what Jesus said? You say yes, and now you're going to say no. You're, you're, just, you're not really willing to keep commitments. Is that why he didn't really think it through? And now he's got to change his yes to a no? No. Paul is saying, I really had planned to visit. So then why didn't he? Well, as you read around this, you'll discover that God had stopped him. God had said no to this trip. How did God say no? We're not given that detail. We don't know. I mean, it could have been a circumstance that blocked where he literally could not get passage to Corinth. He, something, we don't know. Or it could have been God communicated a more direct no to Paul and said, no, I know you planned, but I'm saying no. But when God says no, that's not a circumstance you can get around. And the point that's being made here is if you're going to partner with God, you need to plan differently. Paul says, I didn't plan in a worldly manner. What's a worldly manner? You know, we make plans. I make plans this week. Are they, did I plan in a worldly manner? What does that mean? In the Bible, the term worldly can just simply translate it, God is not a factor or without God. That's what it means. A worldly person just makes decisions that just don't even factor in God. They factor in the things of this world and the data of the world. So to plan in a worldly manner is God's just not a factor when you plan. And that kind of planning, Paul says, is a yes-yes and a no-no kind of planning. That's worldly manner planning. What does that mean? Well, what it means is we plan yes, and then we demand that yes happen. Or we plan no, we don't want to do that, and we demand that no happens. Does that work? Sometimes. But a lot of times it doesn't. Why? Because, as I said, God is also planning, and his plans override ours. So should we just not make plans then? If God's going to say yes and no, is there any point in us saying yes and no? Because that's what plans really are. Plans are just really a series of yeses and nos, you know, zeros and ones. It's just yeses and nos. That's what plans are. So should we not do that? No, Paul says, our message to you is not yes and no. What? 
Let me translate it. The modern way of saying this is Paul is saying, our, our message to you is not whatever. Okay, that's what this means. He's not saying, plan yes or no. God's going to mess with you, so it doesn't really matter. So wake up every day and say, whatever, and move into your day with, you know, without any intentionality. He's not saying that. No, go ahead and plan. That's not our message. Our message isn't don't say yes or don't say no. Don't make plans. Now, he said, here's what our message is. Our message is the message of Christ, which is always yes. What does that mean? He goes on to explain. He's talking about the promises of God. How many promises has God made in the Bible? Because he says, no matter how many promises God has made, well, how many has he made? Google it. I'm not saying that. For, I mean, there's a, there's a debate. Somewhere between seven and 9,000 promises people have made different lists. I didn't want to take the time to enter my own number. So thousands, thousands of promises. But what it's saying is that in the middle of all those promises, they're not just individual promises. They are that, but every one of those promises are woven together, and all of them find their ultimate fulfillment in the person and the work, what he did of Jesus Christ. Everything that God promises in Christ, it's yes. Yes. He is the big yes of God to every promise that's been made. So what Paul is saying is really in Christ, God's main word is yes. But if you've read the Bible, you may be thinking, huh, I seem to recall a lot of no's and not a whole lot of yeses. And you'd be right. So what does it mean when he says, it's always been yes? It's like, no, if you read it, it's kind of almost always been no. A lot of times God says no. So why does it say it's always been yes? God's no's are not no for no's sake. They're not final no's. They are initial no's. They're like the no a parent says when their child reaches for the stove. That is a no, but there's a bigger yes behind the no, right? There's a yes to the health of that child. There's a yes to the protection of that child. That's God's plan for us. God's plan for us is good. It's, it's a yes. He has our eternal blessing and our true happiness in mind. The no's that he says to us are so that we don't run away from the bigger yes that he has in mind for us. So plan away and realize that whatever happens is because God has a yes in mind for you. His plan for you and for me is good. And there will be a day where you will see all of it come together into one big yes. But for now, you may be running into some really hard no's. So what's our role in all this? Are we just pawns in God's great chess game? No. Our role in the flow of all these yeses and no's to our plan is to, and this is interesting, Paul says, to speak amen to God's plan. To say the word amen. What does that mean? Amen means I'm in agreement with. I submit to. I, I support. That's what the word amen means. So on the leading edge of time, God is implementing his plans. And our role is to support those plans with a hearty amen rather than resist them. 
And when we say amen to what God is doing, even though we don't understand it, and even though we don't like it, and even though it's a no to something we had said yes to, we bring him glory when we say, well, God, I don't get it, but amen. I'll, I won't get mad. I won't resist. I'll trust it. You're good. But let's be honest. Amen is never our first response when God's plan counters ours. My normal response is no. Actually, almost always it's oh no. Not just no. Oh no. In January, I had a routine medical procedure that damaged my vocal cords. I couldn't talk for two weeks. Now, they assured me, hey, your voice is going to come back. But when you can't talk, you're like, are they sure? Because it doesn't seem like it's coming back. Now, I've got a lot of plans, like you. And as far as I could tell, they all involve me having a voice. That's a really big part of my plans for the future. So on the drive home for that procedure, when I couldn't talk, I was not thinking, well, amen. No, what I was thinking is, are you kidding me? I've never heard of this. How come, I'm sure it was buried in like page eight of the thing I signed as a possible risk, but who reads those things? I, I, I didn't know that. And then when I got home, the pain got worse, and I had to go to emergency, which is a delightful experience. And then I got the bill, the emergency room bill, for the procedure that they had caused. And again, I wasn't like, well, amen to that. <laughs> this is just getting more amen-y all the time. No. I was thinking about calling a lawyer, actually, is what I was thinking about. And it took me time to get from no, 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 tearful no. To amen. Now, for me, what I've learned as I've tried to apply these verses is it's really helpful to, as it says, actually say amen. To, when your mind hears your voice say amen, it helps. The problem is I didn't have a voice. But in my heart, I still remember the time laying there in my room with my eyes welling up with tears, saying, God, okay. All right, amen. I don't understand this. And you know, my voice came back in two weeks, and I know if it had gone on longer, I would have struggled even more deeply. But this is what we struggle to get to, is amen when God says no to our yes. Or yes to a no we never wanted. If the details of our days are just random occurrences, then we need to manipulate them and people, and fight every day to dominate and exert our will. But in the process, we are going to become more and more isolated because we will destroy trust. And we will end up having very little influence for good in the lives of others. But if God is really in charge, if he is the circle around every circle, and he is planning for our good, he is ultimately saying yes to us, then we can trust him, and we can struggle, but we can say amen. And that frees us to treat people with respect and to keep our word. 
I don't know what's going to happen to you this week. I know it's going to involve yeses and nos. Don't add to them. If at all possible, don't alter them. It is in your commitments that God will meet you. One day, we will see how the plan of God came together. And we will rejoice in all of God's yeses. But for now, we have to say amen. So, let's pray. Father, I pray for those in the room right now that are struggling. Their plans have been decimated. They are experiencing something that they don't understand. God, I pray that you would help them in the darkness and in the fear and in the sadness of whatever that is. God, I pray you'd help them to get to the point of saying amen. And in my experience, we don't just say amen once. We have to struggle and say it again and again and again. But it is foolish for us to to yell yes and no to your yes and no and expect that it's going to have any effect other than destroy ourselves and destroy our relationships. So God, we need help to say amen. I pray you'd help us. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.